2: It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand.
3: Yeah, you know, it's, it, again, it's hard for me to see without watching the tape, but um, they do a really good job in the back end. And with the pressure coming, it's not, you're not able to hold the football for very long, so, uh, and they're a good tackling team. So, you know, some of the check downs didn't didn't amount to much. Um, you know, but um, you know, to have a 120 yards of offense or whatever we had is, you know, not good enough.
4: That is Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer Report today that Zimmer will not be going anywhere. I didn't think he was going to get fired. Neither did Courtney. Um, but our last caller would have liked to have seen that uh, Matthew and Courtney filling in. On the Mackie and Judd here show. And if you missed any of it, normally you can find us on the Purple Podcast feed, but if you search for the Mackie and Judd feed, you can catch the whole show if you missed any part of it. And of course, people with the most robust social lives listen online to a show on New Year's Eve. Yes. Right?
1: Absolutely. We've got two callers on the line. I, res- I respect no. the. Uh, the patience and the time.
4: I'm I'm picking on all of you, and I'm the one who's going to go home and just write articles tonight. So I
1: mean, it's it's fan- I think it's fantastic that we have this many calls. I mean, certainly Black Monday is always a big day in the NFL, mm-hmm. but for a team that is essentially going through Black Monday without going through it, and
4: it feels that way.
1: Feels weird, and uh, I think that there's still a lot of uncertainty that needs to be unpacked.
4: Before I I get back to what the previous caller was saying about firing both of them. Uh, I want to read an email from Josh that came in about Kirk Cousins, who wonders if Kirk Cousins' overthinking uh, leads to his poor in-game performance. Uh, Josh says, Cousins is clearly a cerebral guy, and he's talked about his brain coach helping him think less and react more. I think overthinking was the most evident on second and third down yesterday, where he didn't look at Delvin Cook in the flat. Or, or he says the second and third down, sure. where he didn't look at Delvin Cook in the flat. You mentioned that one. And instead attempted to do what everyone has told him to do, try to get a first down with his feet. Seemed like he had Zimmer, Filippo, maybe Stefanski's voice in the back of his head. Another example is the Seahawks game, in which he seemed to feel what you called phantom pressure, and it might explain him not feeling the pressure and having so many strip sacks. I, I have trouble diagnosing it. With Kirk Cousins. Um, because in in part, I wonder how much is just the game is too fast for him in a lot of ways. And I remember Kyle Shanahan saying this in an interview that if it wasn't there, he wasn't going to find it. Like with with Cousins, if he didn't see it pre snap, and if he didn't see the receiver open, he wasn't gonna throw it. And with Case Keenum, who's just the best comparison we can make to this, because he's so opposite of Kirk Cousins. Keenum threw it into double coverage a lot with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Keenum found ways to let plays develop if he was fooled at the line of scrimmage a lot. And those are the things I think he's just slow to process. I, I you, When you look at it on tape, you can really see it because you see all the parts moving at once. And you'll see many times a guy coming out of his break and then Cousins throws the ball. And a lot of times these receivers are so good at works, they catch it anyway, But there are many other times where he's waited too long. And when you watch some of the best quarterbacks play, Phillip Rivers is like the king of this because he's got no arm left. But he still throws it down the field. Guys will not be out of their breaks, and he's releasing the ball, and he's throwing it to where they're going to be instead of where they are. It's an incredible skill that only a few human beings have, but I just don't see that with Cousins. So I don't know if it's overthinking or just a slight tick slow to process.
1: I think it's a lot of that. Like both of those things, but it's also he can do it, but in small doses. When they're backed up inside the five yard line and that throw that he made to Adam Thielen in Philadelphia, that's yeah. that's incredible. That's that is an anticipatory throw where he knows his guy's going to get to a certain spot um and in, in that he has the confidence to make that throw. Case made a lot of YOLO throws last yeah, year he where did. he was just like, chuck it up and mm-hmm. and go get it. That's backyard football. And You have to have a a set of, um, you know, you have to have some guts to do that. But, you know, I think with Cousins, it's almost the two... Zimmer's talked about this. It's playing too tight. It's wanting to be too perfect. It's wanting to be a pleaser, wanting to get every little detail to the T, the, the T's crossed, the I's dotted, everything, where instead of take a sack, instead of throw the ball out of bounds, it becomes a negative play. He has done that time and again. That is his M.O. here in Minnesota, and I think, you know... Truthfully, it's followed him everywhere he's been in his career. The 2016 game, which, you know, they're, it's kind of interesting. We don't hear from any of the Kirk Cousins truthers today who <laughs> were the ones out there on Friday and Saturday coming after. I know we both wrote things about, you know, what happened in that 2016 game in Washington. What happened with his, you know, does he have the it factor? He lost them that playoff game because he played tight, because he threw an interception that put them out of field goal range against the Giants yep. after getting sacked four times, throwing an interception. I mean, it was a bad game. In the biggest moments, he's had his worst games. Yesterday was one of them. I think it was was his lowest uh, passing total in in his NFL career. He did not rise to that occasion. And I think so much of that is, I mean, we know that he's, you know, arm strength and accuracy. He has all of those gifts. But it's the mental aspect of the moment almost becoming too big for him because there are several times you see him step up right into a sack yesterday.
4: You know what I think it is? is that good teams, this is why I started to put these dots together when Mike Zimmer talked about the Bears' defense, that good teams usually have enough talent to mix up coverages and not give you the answers at the line of scrimmage, that they will change after the snap. And we saw it in New England, and we saw it especially in Chicago twice. I saw that yesterday that if he does not have the answer pre-snap, you bring up that throw in Philly, it's a great throw, but the answer is there pre-snap. There's one-on-one coverage on the outside with Adam Thielen. It's press coverage. They know that Thielen can be press coverage. So at the line of scrimmage, he looks over and he sees that look and says, I've got the answer already. When he takes the snap and thinks he has an answer, but the defense is different, And Zimmer explained this in very technical terms because he was sort of excited about how good the Bears are on defense. But he was talking about using robbers and things like that, things that can throw a quarterback off a little, thinking he has man, but actually it's zone. And a lot of the good quarterbacks find a way to buy themselves a second to slow things down, to find that wide receiver on the move or or whatever it might be, or just give an extra second to a receiver to get open or to get his bearings of what the right read is. I don't think he does that very well, and that, to me, would be the biggest explanation. If you were giving me, does he have trouble processing defenses who don't give you the answers versus is he just a choker, I would go the thing about the answers. I think that that shortcoming in his game makes him struggle, and we saw other quarterbacks, and Keenum was one of them, who did not have a great arm, but if you he, have the
1: athleticism to bail you out like he does, you're gonna be
4: fine. he He did. yeah. and and I, I also think that when the answers weren't there, he found a way to buy some time, even with a bad offensive line. And Bridgewater was masterful at it in two thousand and fifteen. he was he was getting rushed from both sides with Khalil and TJ. Clemmings, and he found time and read defenses and made throws. And that's the thing that Cousins doesn't do. and I, and then that's my theory on why he doesn't beat. The good teams, rather than just the the lights are too bright for them. Anyway, so we're getting calls. 651-646-8255. Enjoying the conversation with you about the Minnesota Vikings. Any thought is fine, really, at this point. I mean, we talked a lot about uh, Zimmer and Spielman and their futures and the report that they are coming back, and I do want to circle back on that. Um, but uh, also we want to talk about the free agents that are coming up. manny has got that list, too. And where does this rank under most disappointing Vikings seasons? So let's go to Harold and Blaine. How are you, Harold? Hi, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. What's up? Well, I shouldn't have asked that. You just sound great tonight. Thank you. I Apparently, we don't have a backup quarterback. No, uh, Trevor Simeon's a free agent. I mean,
3: we don't have one that... You're, not, you're
2: afraid to put in.
4: You know, Harold, this is a great point, because back in the day, they used to pull guys, right, Harold? They used to take guys out, and they, if he wasn't playing well, and put in the backup, but they don't do that anymore.
2: They, well, they need to go out and get themselves like a five-minute... Hell, they probably, Aikman could probably play better than Cousins <laughs> yesterday, so...
4: <laughs> well, uh, that's true, Harold. It's an interesting point, and I appreciate it. I, I had this thought, To myself yesterday, and this is like, how hot is it in here? It's kind of hot. Like I feel like the heat is turned up. But you're you'll light on fire when I say this.
0: It'll be like it'll feel like a freezer in about a half hour. Oh yeah, I I know this room is
4: crazy, (laughs) but it's already a little toasty in here. But I mean, you'll incinerate with this take. But I had this thought yesterday when it was what was it at halftime? So like thirteen nothing or whatever.
1: Thirteen three. Okay.
4: Yep. I had this thought if. Would they have a better chance of Trevor Simeon? Like, would they legit, would they legitimately, and and we saw Trevor Simeon in the preseason. He threw for 132 yards, keep in mind. Would they have had a better chance knowing how Cousins plays in some of these games, knowing when he just cannot win, when he has that look that he just cannot win at all? Would it have been better to have Trevor Simeon? I don't know. I know I mean, that's, that's the that's hottest take ever. That's, that's
1: kind of far out there. But, I mean, Trevor Simeon has a starting experience. He's won games before. He was mediocre. Got a winning record. Yeah, he's got a winning record. He was mediocre at best. But you brought him here because you felt like he could step up in a pinch if Cousins got hurt or if you needed to. But it's interesting that they haven't, you know, in, in any circumstance. I mean, if, if yesterday's your only chance, why you don't pull him at some point, I understand where you're going with that. I, I get it. They used
4: to do it. They pulled uh, Joe Montana in a playoff game against the Vikings and put in Steve Young. Of course, Steve Young a little different than Simeon, but here's my one stat, and then I'll stop this forever. I'll never bring this up ever again, but this is fun to me. Trevor Simeon, fourth quarter of games as a starter, and remember, he has a winning record. 90.3 quarterback rating, the highest of any quarter for Trevor Simeon. And when it was trailing in games with with like close games, his numbers not really too bad eight eight yards per attempt in fourth quarters of games throughout his career I'm just I'm never gonna say that again I promise but it made me think that you can spot it anyone who is watching that game you knew it it was like two drives in you were watching and you went oh no
1: that first drive That's it. the first drive and uh, that to me wrote the whole thing off three straight passes the way that everything just unfolded right then and there backed up in their own territory it was not. There was no, nothing inspiring that showed you that, hey, this team has life. Even that touchdown, you felt that they were playing tight and that if you gave the Bears a tiny crack, they were going to break that game wide open like they did. And that Cousins was not going to be able to recover.
4: But how wild is this? Trevor Simeon has a better fourth quarter quarterback rating for his career than Kirk Cousins.
1: That's pretty nuts. Granted, smaller sample size, but still. Yes,
4: but what? Okay, I mean, I'm tongue-in-cheek saying this entirely, but there was a thought yesterday that went through my mind that he— had that look that you just aren't ever going to win. And boy, when you put as much cap space into a player who, when you're in a good game, you anyone, anyone could have predicted. We could have walked down in the stands and said to whatever person was in whatever seat and said, what do you think? After after three drives, how's this going to work out? They'd be like, oh, I, said, I can see it.
0: I tweeted it out when there was about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Kirk Cousins had 80 passing yards. Yeah. Yeah. 55 minutes into the game, he had 80 passing yards.
4: So, I mean, in my mind, Trevor Simeon would have done better. I'm not saying that they should have pulled him, but as far as how the the performance actually went,
1: I think you don't know how it would have been worse. I think you run the risk. I mean, they could have done it at multiple points this season. You run the risk of losing the rest of the locker room if you have a guy making that much money and you pull him. Certainly. I mean, look at the Blake Bortles situation. I mean, he was making quite a bit of money for not a lot of very good play, and they pulled him.
4: It's it's not a serious take. It's only a take to sort of demonstrate how frustrating that is for the fans who were booing yesterday at times to watch when they know that it's just not there. To think that, man, this backup guy, like, could he do it? Could he get them moving at all? I mean, that's... That That's what kind of shape we're in With this conversation with Cousins After these big games uh, I'll stop now, I promise Let's go to Joe in Bloomington How are you, Joe? Oh, uh, I'm doing good Thanks a lot for taking my call sure thing. Uh, Happy New Year Happy Black Monday, I suppose Thanks for <laughs> letting me
2: throw up in my mouth a little bit With that pro Trevor Simeon stuff That was great <laughs> uh, But yeah, speaking of backup quarterbacks uh, I mean, the Eagles got Nick Foles laughing at us But uh, I won't dive into that My real questions are uh oh, what was I gonna ask? Uh, sorry, I'm I'm all I'm all cold. I'm outside walking my dog right now, but oh yeah, I was gonna talk about Trey Wayne's. Uh, now I want to talk about Trey. I think he did well. I was just wondering what you guys thought about the chances of them re-signing and. Also, what do you think the shots of uh, us drink uh, drafting another kicker are this year? So, <laughs> go ahead and hang up and listen.
4: Okay, Joe. Uh, I think I can answer the first one or the second question first and say yeah. probably zero on drafting another kicker. At least that...
1: not trading up a draft pick. That <laughs> you right. mean? Yes, you got it back, but doing it, that, that was dumb. Uh,
4: I hope I'm on social media if they do it again. Um, Trey Wayne's. What do you think?
1: You know, that's a tricky one. You know, he's certainly he's here through the 2019 season, so we know that. But I think that depending upon what happens with Mike Hughes and the development and how quickly he's able to come back, you might be able to move on from Trey Wayne's because he has a big season. He wants to, He's going to want to get paid, and you're not going to have the cap space in you know 2019 and beyond after next season, so 2020 and beyond to do that. I mean, you got to start thinking about. You got to start thinking ahead to the future. I mean, what's going to happen with Xavier Rhodes? He's almost 30 years old at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. He went through a lot of injuries this season. Is this going to become the trend? You know, are you going to want to try to move on from him, potentially draft another corner somewhere in there and, you know. Don't get, say draft I another know, corner. I know, sorry, I know, I'm sorry. I'm giving people PTSD right I, now. I was but, just
4: saying they should have put in Simeon, so if um, you say that, this, <laughs> this place will burn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, for for a guy like Waynes, I mean, there's, there's factors to think that they won't go that route, and it's nothing against him. It's just more of a financial situation, I think, than anything else because they might, be confident in the way Holton Hill has developed down the line, and uh, you know, I mean, even still, it's a different position. But there's a reason that they've kept, held on to J. Ron Curse for so long because they're starting to see, you know, third, fourth year guys really take on and really develop. I mean, there's been teams that have put put in calls about trying to get J. Ron Curse, the Houston Texans being one of them. Um, and and the Vikings did not want to did not want to go down that route because they certainly see something in him right now. Uh, to keep him go- to keep him going forward. So I think that when you have young guys like Mike Hughes, you like the development of Holton Hill, that could potentially save you some money down the line. And you know, Trey's had some up and down years. I mean, he's been pretty good and consistent the last few years, especially against the run. Uh, but yeah, I could see I could see that uh, I could definitely see them moving on from him.
4: I. Um would be surprised if they cut him now because they can cut him and no cap hit. But that would really not surprise now. Me. Like, yeah, I mean, he's really here through
1: 2019. Me. I think that you ride it out.
4: I think that might have been the plan, though. When they drafted Hughes, maybe the plan was to, of course, you're going to pick up the fifth-year option to solidify he's under contract, but you can cut him at any time. The plan might have been to draft Hughes, give him a year, cut Trey Wayans, put Mike Hughes into that position, And have it be much cheaper. I don't think that there's a plan to keep him long-term. I do think he improved over the last two years, but it's sort of replacement level, or I don't want to call it that, because that sounds like you could pick up someone from the Arena Football League and throw him in. Like, it's a, it's replaceable performance. Yeah. Uh, But I thought overall it was good, especially his tackling, but not where you felt like, oh, this guy, you can't put anyone in that spot. Uh, I, th- I think you can, and he's probably not worth paying top dollar, which would be in the range of what? 10, 10 to $12 10 million dollars of, yeah, for that position. There. You, there's only so many people you're going to be able to spend your money on. And that all sort of circles back to when you pay a quarterback this much dot, 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 it causes a lot of issues. Can't wait um, till we
1: get to our free agency talk.
4: Yes. Yes. I know we, and we will soon, manny has got the list. Um, let's go to Gary and Egan here. What's up, Gary?
2: Yeah, like, I I know it's a disappointing season, but real quickly, I want to bring up three three Viking games. Like, it's a shame they, I mean, the Buffalo's not a bad team, but that really hurts that they didn't take Buffalo seriously mm-hmm. early this year. And, and then there was two Super Bowls in 1970. They did beat Kansas City in the season over, except the Vikings were about nine months too late. And initially, I still remember the. 74 Super Bowl where they got blasted by Miami, but, I was, uh, but this year I was so happy to see them taking care of Miami. It's just too bad they didn't do that in 74, so those are just three games. I'll just kind of let you hang up and listen.
4: Well, you know what's going to stick with me about this season, thank you Gary for the call, is how close it was to the playoffs in so many different ways. I mean, like you said, beat Buffalo. That came back to right? haunt
1: them. I remember we asked Trey Waynes about that when he came back. Um, it was after the Eagles game, I want to say. And, you know, how much is that still kind of haunting the locker room? They say, oh, you know, moved on, moved on. Like, you've always keep that in the back of your mind. That, to me, is a loss that, you know, was always kind of lurking around the corner no matter what they said in the locker room because they played themselves by losing that game. And by the week before, by not taking care of business, by having special teams blunders left and right, not Stacy Coley not knowing the freaking rules of like how you, <laughs> I mean, just it was it was a, it was an abomination in that game. And I mean, you win that game, you beat Buffalo, you're in the playoffs. You're not having this situation. The tie helped them for a couple weeks. I mean, but but in the end, they still did this to themselves.
4: It really is wild when you go almost week to week with it because the Green Bay game. Green Bay walked out of there saying how in the world did we tie because mm-hmm. we were up what 22 to 7 Yeah and
1: Kirk orchestrates a 17 point comeback I mean do that earlier in the
4: game on the back of a insane Roughing the passer call, which there were two yesterday. Yeah. They made a comeback for Week 17. They didn't exist for weeks and weeks and weeks. I saw a highlight of a Seahawks player power bomb Kirk Cousins and get nothing. And then yesterday, there's two of the weakest calls. It was like, oh, you guys thought it was Week 1 again, huh? Um, but, you know, and then you have Nick Foles going out to Los Angeles and surprisingly beating them and somehow leading the Eagles into the playoffs. But what it really will come down to is... There were several opportunities against good teams, and all you needed was one to go right. It wasn't like anyone needed this Vikings team to beat New England, Seattle, and Chicago twice. That's not what they what it required. It was win one of those games. It's six nothing in the fourth quarter. It's ten to ten in the fourth quarter, and even yesterday they're in the game in the fourth quarter. It's ten to thirteen to ten. Win one of those games, and you're in the playoffs. And they couldn't get it done. And I think that that's what ultimately haunts Vikings fans about this season beyond the bigger picture of can you really win with Kirk Cousins?
1: Well, I think that's what brings up what Anthony Barr said yesterday, that we don't deserve to be in the playoffs the way that we played this season. He was, you know, that's not emotion speaking there. I mean, it is, and it isn't. That's the raw, honest truth given how close they were in games and they just gave it away.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: That's my take on it.
4: No, there were so many opportunities to just go win one. And, were they? Uh, did I read this right? That they're the only team without a game-winning drive yep. in the NFL? Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, there are plenty of stats that will depress you. I was looking this up earlier, and I know we've got to get to break. Um, but I was pulling this up just their their passing game and which teams it compares to. So there are some stats that give you sort of an overview rather than like oh yards, but like how efficient you were, how many points you were expected to score. And the Vikings' offense, in terms of expected points, ranked just behind these teams Detroit, Cincinnati, and San Francisco. And just ahead of these teams, Dallas, Cleveland, who was held back by Tyrod Taylor for weeks, Oakland, and Denver, Tennessee. So those are the only teams that they were better. And there's a few teams that were, you know, much worse, like Jacksonville and Arizona. But they're twenty-first in their passing game. In how many points you'd be expected to score in terms of your inf- efficiency and how you play? And behind San Francisco, I mean, they had a. It's it's wild how this league works that you can have this statistically good-looking season for quarterback rating, but when you break it down, yards per completion, the Vikings are dead last in the NFL.
1: And then you want last. To, uh, yeah, behind it, it, Arizona
0: with two of the best wide receivers exactly. in football.
1: That's and that's not a product of those two getting doubled. That's not a product of those two getting taken out of a game. It's a product of the efficiency factor.
4: Teams that were better in yards per completion. Well, it's all of them. But just ahead of them, Arizona, Detroit, Jacksonville, Washington, Oakland, and Denver. Wow. It's, yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay, I just I don't even know what what the point of that was. But that when you start breaking that down, it's oh. amazing how close it was, but also when you have a 20th ranked passing offense with your 84 million dollar quarterback it's very hard to win
1: well and that's why i think you know even even still the argument that oh well they were top 10 in total offense they had top 10 passing offense whatever it was go go further in that go go look at how many drives were resulting in in points and and how many drives stalled i mean you could see it in the four drives that you know started the game yesterday that were all three and punt i mean there's so much of this team that the stats don't really tell you the full number until you go in. Like Kirk Cousins was 4,200 yards or whatever, 30 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That that's not that that's not even the half of it for what went wrong for him this season. I mean, you know, you can pad your stats all you want with you know trying to come back late in games. I mean, you're nowhere near a puncher's chance in, in so many of them.
4: All right. Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin in for Mackie and Judd today. We'll be on until six o'clock. Uh, if you're on hold, hang on there. We're trying to get everybody in. Lots of calls today, which I love. 651-646-8255 is the phone number. And I yes, we will let Manny get to the list of free agents. that We had that written down for earlier, but lots of great conversation uh, from your phone call. So uh, feel free to give us a buzz, and we will continue rolling on on this Vikings now off season next game in, what, September? Man. All right, <laughs> we'll talk more about that when we get back. Matthew and Courtney in for Mackie and Judd.
0: Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley-dokley. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back.
2: Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off
0: on 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. We have a stalled vehicle in Minneapolis, 94 westbound uh, between Cedar and Highway 55 as Matthew Collar is uh, head knocking over there in the other studio. Uh, The stalled vehicle is causing a lane to be blocked, so uh, be on the lookout for that. I enjoy this generic extreme metal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Annie, I could give you some tracks to play coming out of breaks oh, it's that complicated. would...
0: Um, it's a long believe story. Me, they're, they're, Courtney, a, there's plenty of stuff that I, I wish I could play. I have some sad music
1: I think that Vikings fans would probably commiserate with it's, um, that could re- pertain to this season.
0: It's a legal situation <laughs> or something. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Those there's plenty of royalties. stuff that I wish I could play right well, now, trust just, me. Yeah, let's just move on from that. Uh, Matthew Collar, Courtney <laughs> Cronin, in for Mackie and Judd today until 6 o'clock. Taking your calls at 651- 646-8255. We'll Let's go to Martel in Brooklyn Park. What's up, Martel? Yo. Martel, we got you there? Yep, I'm here. What's up, man?
2: Hey. Uh, thanks for uh, taking my call. Um, I just wanted to bring up two quick points. I uh, was, um, didn't listen to the radio show earlier, and it was just on Kirk Cousins and the whole line. I'm pretty sure you covered it. But when I look at Kirk Cousins, I don't want to give up on the guy yet. I feel like you know he has a three-year contract, so two more years left. Um... He's the old-school statue quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. He's not your mobile Teddy Bridgewater. He's not Case Keenum. He's that guy that just basically sits there, and he needs an O-line to protect him. He needs it. There's nothing else. So when teams come and they look at film, they're saying, well, what is the big uh, weakness of the Vikings? It's the O-line. So they said, hey, if we could at least blow up that O-line, get uh, tackles for losses, sacks, and cause a three and out, no matter what, the offense of the Bears, right, they can say, hey, we'll have multiple cho- chances to actually score and have uh, Mitch Trubisky uh, more time to actually, you know, commit and make a touchdown. When you're blowing up and holding the Vikings to nothing, it, it, you tire out of her defense, and then our defense at the end, they're gassed. Mm-hmm. And then they end up losing those one-on-one battles. I think we have to go in, uh, to, you know, to the draft, and we had to, to think of O-linemen. We already know that, but we have to do it. And then the other thing I want to bring up um, is We really got to get an offensive of coordinator, but someone that that's brand name, not someone that's taking a job from a quarterback's uh, coach position moving up. Somebody that's been there and done that. I know they're out there, and uh, that's what I feel about Kirk Cousins. Thank you.
4: Well, I appreciate that, man. And uh I think that when you look closely at his career, his best season, and unfortunately it ended the same way that yesterday did, so I don't know if this is a full fix or not, but his best season, 2016, 2016. He's got a great offensive line. And then Washington's O-line gets hurt the next year, and then, of course, his play goes down again.
1: And and free agency killed him. Took away Garcon, took away Jackson. Right, right, right.
4: But that was the big thing. It was Trent Williams is healthy. uh, Brandon Schreff is healthy. They were a solid line. They were one of the top-ranked by Pro Football Focus that year. And you've said this many times. I have, too. When you go into a year knowing that you have a statue quarterback... And don't invest everything you can in the offensive line. I mean, let's even think about this. The way Eric Wilson played this year, if they instead paid $10 million to a right guard instead of extending Eric Wilson or Eric Kendricks. like I like Eric Kendricks, but is that like a better distribution of your cash? Probably is right? I mean, there, there, there are some places where you can look where you have to say and especially when it comes to that draft pick, but okay, so let's even say you can't rely on a draft pick to step right in and be great. Well, the free agency market wasn't perfect, but there were certainly guys who had experience playing guard, unlike Mike Remmers. That the point is just that you can't sign a guy whose Achilles heel is the pocket and then not give him a pocket.
1: I agree. I mean, but that's We could talk about this till we're blue in the face. I just don't understand. They knew that Kirk was at his best when everything else is status quo or better around him. That offensive line in 2016 was a top 10 offensive line. It could not have been any better. I mean, look at cousins had that picture, uh, that he showed a picture of his office. I think that was when he was still in mayor in, um, you know, the DC area where it was a picture. He had all five of his starting offensive line. Like it was a huge panorama in his office. Everybody signed it and he was just going on and on about like, this is, you know, the best unit I've had, blah, blah, blah. It's the respect factor, et cetera. They let him do his job at a high level. Um, they doomed themselves the day that they chose not to address that. They got mm-hmm. worse the day that Joe Berger retired. They never addressed it they They tried to make fixes they were down three starters i don't I still don't understand. I mean, I get it because they thought Rashad Hill was going to come along faster than he did and that he'd be the answer at least for a little bit at right tackle, which it clearly wasn't um. But you know, you you lose Nick Easton, you you lose Joe Berger. Remmers has to move inside. I mean, it just it was they were doomed from the start because they were playing a game of chess, and then they lost a few pieces, and they were playing how many how many pieces are on a chessboard? Sixteen? No, no, I mean for like white or black, like oh. Um but let's just say they're down three chess pieces just to make this argument easier, and they're trying to overcompensate
4: with i don't know, I don't play chess, but um, I do, but I've never thought about how many pieces there were
1: it's just it's amazing to me how how they thought they could <laughs> how they thought they could work around this. there's Horse. no work around to an offensive line when you're going <laughs> up against. Two the, horses. The, the t- <laughs> There's no work around when rooks, you're going against the defenses that they're facing from the Rams to the Eagles, which they did get a win there, but, you know, even down the stretch, this the, the, the stretch that ruined their season was Chicago, New England, and Seattle. You couldn't make this work much
4: longer. I spin myself in circles with the offensive line thing because... I go to one point. How many? Sixteen. Okay, thank you, Jonathan. I go to one point and I say, "Can you believe they didn't fix this offensive line, knowing the guy they were bringing in?" And then I go around to the other point and say, "You know what? The offensive line, the second half of the season, when Elf line was healthier and when Brian O'Neill was playing pretty well, and Riley Reef had recovered from the foot injury." Like that's on cousins. That, that it's that on he, cousins. He for, had a lot of time to throw in those big games, and, and not for, not all the time, but sometimes.
1: And for where he was dropping back too. I mean, we go back to week four, nine and a half yards. Okay, Kirk. What <laughs> like, was
4: it, ten and a half? That's a that's like a. If anyone gets that joke, that's amazing.
1: No, I mean, Just, but like he never helped himself. He never helped right. his tackles. I mean. There is there were situations in that Arizona game where, yes, Rashad Hill messed up, but you could help yourself there by stepping by shifting, go to the go to your right, but move a few feet.
4: Didn't you realize that there was something more wrong to this than just players and skills and that sort of thing when the offensive coordinator and the quarterback couldn't get their story straight for how far he's supposed to drop on a pass?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was
4: something wrong there from even then.
1: We have how many months? It's, it's all right, let's call it January. We have eight, eight and a half, nine months until the season starts. There are going to be so many times over the next however many days it is, 200 some days, to go back and nitpick what people said in press conferences, to find moments and be like, oh, was that foreshadowing something? I mean the the Filippo and and Cousins disagreement about like where he should be as far as its depth in the pocket, um you know coming out of shotgun in, in after week four is that to me was one of them where hey someone here is not on the same page yes. and, and I don't think that it was De Filippo in that circumstance. Let's
4: go to uh, Jake in New Orleans. Thanks a lot for holding, Jake. What's up? Hey guys.
3: Uh, I- I just want to say I think the idea of firing Zimmer right now, despite all of Courtney's criticisms and, and critiques being accurate, is kind of ludicrous. I mean, if you look at winning percentage among active coaches, he's number five right now behind Belichick, Tomlin, Peyton, Reed. Those are pretty good coaches. Bill Belichick's record without Tom Brady is 18-19. and 19. Mike McCarthy's record was 7-14-1 without Favre or Rodgers. This guy has a winning record with cousins, Keenum, Bradford, Bridgewater. He won a game with Sean Hill. I mean, this is a franchise. Excuse me, that had two playoff wins in the 13 years before he got here. So I think the idea of canning him right now is kind of ludicrous. But I wanted to get y'all's reaction to that, and then see. <coughs> excuse me, with 2019, you know, again as Courtney you said, this is a three year window to win the Super Bowl with expectations being high again for next season what would it take to get him fired what, what would it, you know looking a year into the future what does he have to do to definitely keep his job for 2020 yeah that's, that
4: that's a great question jake thanks for the call um so part one is i tend to agree with zimmer's had a lot of success turning around the defense entirely from it being a trash fire when he was hired to a dominating defense that's one of the best in the league and has won them a lot of games no matter who played quarterback. And the Sean Hill game is just one of my favorites ever. Uh, yeah,
1: I love that he brought
4: that up. It's just it's just great that Sean Hill won a game along the way. Um, we call that
1: the Shree Floyd game too.
4: Uh last yeah, that was the last time we saw him. And also, like, maybe we should have known Marcus Mariota wasn't going to be like super great after that one. <laughs> but, you know, the, I mean, the point being that they brought in a defensive coach to win with defense, and he's won a lot with defense. Um, I guess the big question for me also goes into what Jake is asking is we've seen the roller coaster hit the lows with Zimmer in how he's handled some of those things. And I, I think the handling of the De filippo issue, so much in the press with the shots at him before he ends up firing him, which was not great timing there either because it became, like you said, the biggest story in the sport for a while. And then <laughs> Zimmer couldn't figure out why he kept being asked about it. And it was just, you know, things like that, are almost a better argument than the the sort of factual part of it, because the factual part is the win-loss record is really, really good overall. The defense is really, really good overall and gave them a chance, even this year when they were dinged up fourth in the league in yards, gave them a good chance to get into the playoffs if they get a, a game from their quarterback. So from that standpoint, I think, well... The guy has done a lot of what you asked him to do and won a heck of a lot of games and just last year was in the NFC title game. But then I can see this happening because there's so much pressure. If things start to go off the rails a little next year, can it be brought back? Because it wasn't brought back this year. Can it be brought back? It was in 2017. It wasn't brought back in 2016. It was not at all. In fact, it was made worse. And there is where my concern would be.
1: I think you look at what everyone wants to point out as the adversity Zimmer's overcome um, along the way, all the different quarterbacks that he's had that that's the number one point that since Teddy went down in 2016, you know, Guys talked about it today, just with that stability factor. Stefan Diggs brought up, I've had a new offensive coordinator every single year since I've been here. I've had a new quarterback every year that I've been here. That's a lot. Like, mm-hmm. we, I think we honestly, going back to like the playing the hindsight game is really fun here. Cause going back to April when they decide to go down for a weekend of watching the Masters and throwing at some high school in Georgia, um, it was Diggs, Thielen, Cousins, mm-hmm. and Mac Brown, of all people. Uh-huh, he got an invite. Treadwell didn't get an invite, but Mac Brown got an invite. Yikes. Um that was their chance to be like, "Hey, let's start this out. Let's get on the right page." I think we all underestimated how long that truly takes for an offense to gel, for an off for things to become second nature, for things to click as well as they did. But on the flip side of that, Cousins in the first half of the season much different than Cousins in the second mm-hmm. half of the season. The offense was fine. Early on. I mean, Buffalo's an anomaly because Kirk was Kirk in that game and he fumbled in the red zone on back-to-back drives and it was bad. But San Francisco, Green Bay, Los Angeles until he fumbled the game away. Philly week six, week seven, you know, even in the week eight game against the saints, he was good.
4: I, I don't, but, if you're getting to, I don't buy it. I don't buy it either. Like it, the, the whole, oh, we need year two. This was only year one. We need year two. We're a, on the same it, page. I don't a, buy it.
1: Well, I, I do think that it takes a while in order for that to actually click, but Dig said it himself. We're players. We have to go make plays. We have to not make excuses for it. You make plays happen. We can't keep giving him a pass, Cousins that is, with it's going to take more time. Right. There's because, always an excuse. Because it's three. It's a three-year contract. It is- you have a window here, and it's not necessarily a very large window, but it's a window enough that you know... There's going to be an adjustment period, but you've got to find a workaround for it if they're paying you that much money.
4: It's amazing through his career where it's always someone else's fault or something's fault, or we just need more time. Mm -hmm. It was astonishing to me. And I don't know if he caught himself at all or not. To hear him after the game say, you know, in Washington, in year two and year three, we really got it together, offense. The first year we didn't. I'm like, you missed the playoffs, man. I know. Like, and, why are you bringing up year two and year three in Washington? Here, Is that supposed to comfort someone?
1: The thing to me, the it's a cop out aspect that I don't think anybody wants to hear among this <laughs> fan base. That come on, it's, here, no, it's on year the one. You, you give me, you give me one more mini camp. You give me one more OTAs, wow. and I think we're great. I mean, it's week
4: seventeen. It's,
1: it, nobody wants to hear that nonsense. Nobody wants to hear the excuses of hey, there's always next year. Like I just think that, you know. That's the reason you bring in a veteran quarterback. It's the reason you don't draft somebody or you don't bring, you know, bet on a guy like Case Keenum because you don't know because the the hurry up process of getting him up to speed is not supposed to take that long.
0: And the other part of that too is do you think the 62-year-old head coach wants to hear, "Wow, this is this is only year 1." I mean, we got, you know, we we just need more time. I mean, right. Zimmer Zimmer obviously would want more time in terms of just being the coach as long as he can, but you know, the clock is ticking on, on on everybody. You don't just have time to just say, well, you know, we, we, we got one, you know, it's just one year and we just need a little bit more time to get this yeah. going. I mean, yeah. it's,
4: it's, time, it's, it's time to get it in gear now. Well, I mean, you think that Linval Joseph wants to have another great year as he's getting into his 30s and then hear, oh, well, we weren't on the same page. And if you're screaming at your wide receiver on the sideline in week 17, I, I'm not buying. It's the, oh, we changed offensive coordinators. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you just tell me last week that everything was fixed because you changed offensive coordinators? Your stories don't really add up. What they add up to is a bunch of bogus excuses to try to cover up for one of the worst seasons in this team's history when uh, putting expectations up next to what you actually did. And for a guy to stand up there with a fake smile on his face and sit there and try to tell me that it's going to be year two, it's going to be better because they will have code words Code words. He said we're going to have code words in year two, everyone. Code words, Jonathan. Can you believe it, Manny? They'll have freaking code words that will make him all of a sudden get some freaking pocket presents. Do you guys believe this? Sorry if I don't, Kirk. I'm sorry if I don't think code words are going to solve your 8-8 and record over and over again. Perfect number on your jersey. Let's go to break.
0: Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, do the medicine, cabinet On 1500 ESPN. Right. Mackie and Judd now continue. What now? What now? Let me tell you what now. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
4: we are uh, back here on Mackie and Judd, Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin filling in um, post-meltdown. I've How's your hand to, from slapping the
1: glass?
4: <laughs> i was I'm just, not talking about rebounds I, either. You know, it, it just blows my mind, though, that the Vikings fans have been through what they've been through with this team. And in the Mike Zimmer era, it's been no different than it's ever been. It's been an NFC Championship game mixed into years of disappointment and frustration. And it just really hit me yesterday when I was sitting in that press conference with Kirk cousins, that he couldn't have been more tone deaf to that situation to be talking about. It's just year one guys. Like it's just year one guys. I mean, this was, we spent the whole off season, you and I answering super bowl or bust questions, watching this fan base, get excited for what could happen. And I look at this roster and I say, how is this team not in the playoffs? Oh, that's Right. Their quarterback came up short in a bunch of big games. That's how. And he's standing up there telling us that, hey, you're too, man. Like, let's go. And even if I actually think that they will improve this roster and be more competitive next year, I do think that. It still blows my mind that anyone could stand up there with a smile on his face and tell Vikings fans, who's really talking to there, tell Vikings fans, hey, guys, it's all right. That's just year one. Glass half full, he said. I mean, like, come on, man. I mean, you have to take some responsibility. Did you hear any part of that press conference with responsibility? And then we go into the locker room today. Guess who isn't there? The quarterback of the team. Well, did you
1: know he doesn't have a menu of all of his tough losses? Like <laughs> I, mean, I carry right? I carry a menu with me, so I'm happy to <laughs> bestow that upon cousins. The thing that's really interesting because it goes back to the sideline altercation that was just brushed off as, oh, we're just, you know, having a great conversation. My mom brought this up to me because she's very perceptive with, you know, the way she explains things. Remember we were on the podcast after um after the Detroit game, we're talking about Akeem Hicks, and you know, she's the one who told me about getting, like oh, that, the year, yeah, the getting sci- mooshed like that. Chicago, that's the scientific That's the scientific term for when you get sacked, like Cousins did, like a squash banana uh, in Chicago in Week Eleven. So she's very perceptive of those things. She pointed something out to me. She's like, "You look at the Bears sideline, and yes, it's their twelfth win of the season. But when that game was close in the third quarter, when they would show over show the sideline, they were locked in with each other in ways that the Vikings' sideline wasn't. There was no connection anywhere on that sideline. I had my binoculars down on that sideline for a very long time after Cousins and Thielen got into it. And what you saw there was not a friendly conversation. You're not jabbing your arm and throwing it up and be like, this is the right angle on the corner route. No, this is the right angle on the corner route. Kirk Cousins' school of route running, that to me is a disrespectful thing to your Pro Bowl wide receiver If you say, hey, the angle should have been this, explain it calmly. Grab your Microsoft Surface Pro. Maybe you'll even get a sponsorship out of it if you shout them out in your press conference. (laughs) But the way that that happened right there shows me, in a way, do we need to have the question, has Kirk lost his receivers? Has he lost Adam Thielen? Has he lost Stephon Diggs? Was that the reason that at the end of the season, did that play into anything down the stretch? Because I think that's a very valid point when you see... What unfolded there, and you saw the lack of accountability in the post game press conference? With you know, tough times don't laugh, tough tough people do. Like, I don't want to hear that mess. Don't 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 quote me a proverb. don't Don't quote me anything that I can go read on like the play of the champion today nonsense Notre Dame thing. Like, don't give me proverbial BS. Like. I want to, you know, I'd rather see him up there snapping at reporters, being emotional about it. If I'm a fan of this team, I want to see my quarterback take responsibility. I want to see my quarterback pissed off. I want to see him hot. I want to see him angry at the end of a game that he's very much responsible for why they lost. I don't want to see any of this look, hey, there's always next year guys like, you know, championship or, excuse me, uh, participation trophy, AYSO soccer, everybody wins. Like, no. Not for somebody who's getting paid $84 million. Not for somebody who they brought in here to help them win these games. They didn't bring him in here to do just enough in the biggest games of the season. You don't pay $84 million to somebody who is supposed to help you win games that you couldn't do before. Or that you thought you couldn't do before.
0: And the other part of that too, Courtney, is... I told this to to Matthew and Jonathan earlier off the air, is... You could sit down Kirk Cousins in a room and put Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs next to to him and look at him and say, you know what, dude, we gave you a lot of money. We think you're pretty good. We think you can help us get over the top. But these two guys sitting next to you, they were already pretty good before you got here. Mm -hmm. And so to see you on the sidelines berating them and telling them that they should be running this route and that Mm -hmm. route, and you didn't do this right, dude, these guys were good before you got here.
4: Yeah, I never saw that from Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum, or Sam Bradford. Yeah. I, I never, and, and I asked Sage Rosenfels today, our Purple Podcast co host, a guy who has been in this situation himself in his real life. And he said that that, that sort of thing usually does not play out on the sidelines. It usually plays out in a one on one side meeting between two guys, not like that. And to embarrass Adam Thielen like that was was really stunning to see.
1: And to see the way Thielen handled that post game, putting that on himself. I mean, yeah. y- anybody wants to comment on Thielen's meltdowns and his tantrums and the in t- the hissy fits. You know, that's a competitor for the fact that he bit his tongue there. Mm-hmm. Stefan Diggs did the same thing. That's on me, Week Eight. That's on me. Yeah, for Her- for Her- 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 quitting yep. on the route, and then Kirk's in there saying you know we're going to keep that internal and Mike Zimmer saying the next day well i don't want my players taking responsibility for things like that those two guys deserve more credit for what they've had to put up with in a sense of just the lack of accountability than i think anybody else on the team you know maybe the offensive line thrown in there too
4: let's uh, get in joe here in minneapolis what's up joe hey guys thanks for taking the call um this is sort of
2: more of a theoretical question i guess but do you think, and I saw Courtney's piece about the uh, uh, six highest quarterbacks not making the playoffs this year. Do you think quarterback contracts are going to change, kind of like baseball's starting pitchers' contracts? You know, they they stop giving the ten-year contracts. And do you mm-hmm. think you're gonna, there's gonna be a plateau here at some point where you see that, you know, just because you pay a, lot, a guy a lot of money doesn't mean that's going to translate into Super Bowls or
4: or, uh, or long-term success. Well, it's a, it's a great it's a great question Joe and I thank you for the call. Um the same question would have been raised after Joe Flacco's disastrous contract. Matt Stafford has a disastrous contract. Derek Carr has a really bad one. These are all mediocre quarterbacks who are right in that same range of Kirk Cousins and I think as long as extreme desperation exists That's how Christian Ponder becomes a first-round pick, right? It's just extreme desperation to fill the quarterback position.
1: I think we're also on to something soon with the leverage play that the Players Association has and might be able to act upon. The new CBA is not far away. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious to see kind of what happens in terms of these types of contracts. Because, you know, the thing I always wonder about with that type of question, where's the ceiling? Where's the ceiling for these types of contracts? Guy's gonna be getting a three hundred million dollar deal yeah, someday. I yeah. mean, are they gonna become NBA type figures? I mean, obviously the non guarantee factor plays into that, but it makes me wonder what 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 more what more is gonna happen here before this thing leads to either a strike or but, you know leads to you know a labor dispute. I mean, that you can't you gotta figure that at some point. You're gonna hit the you're gonna hit the ceiling and the roof is not gonna move.
4: Yeah. And there's also gotta be extreme um irritation from other players. Yeah. Because a lot of that money is being taken up by one player. And if you're the third best player at your position and you're important too, like a wide receiver, and the quarterback is the fifteenth best at his position, and he is getting way more than you. It's got to have the other players going, hold on now. This has gotten so far out of control. That is kind of what the the market bears, and I think it, it is the desperation, though. Um, we've got to take a break. So great, great call. Uh, We will continue to get to your calls as well. Eric Eager is going to join us soon from Pro Football Focus to talk about his early, early prediction last year that the Vikings would win eight. So he can explain what he was thinking then and how everything turned out and where we can go in the offseason. Maybe I'll even ask for his Super Bowl prediction since he got this one right. So we'll talk to him next and continue to take your calls. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here on 1500 ESPN.
2: Mackie and Judd will return shortly Guys, I thought we were in a hurry On 1500 ESPN